and welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we reflect on our year visiting all 59 U.S. national parks. Whether you are planning to visit your very first park or you bleed gray and green, we're here to share our insights on exploring, understanding, and loving America's best idea. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're sharing our solutions to the problem of loving our national parks to death through our experiences in Zion and Great Basin. We'll also chat about a current NPS struggle and answer a question about which parks had us falling in love at first sight. So, Elizabeth, we have been planning our next exciting adventure. Yes, it's extremely exciting, and we have you to thank for it. I guess so, yes. I'll take the credit. <laughs> Last, uh, when we were in, you know, traveling all around the country, going to the 59 national parks, we went through L.A. Didn't really care for the city. You know, the reputation about traffic and craziness all 100% true, but the one thing I wanted to do in the city of LA was go to The Price is Right. So fortunately, the only day we were there, uh, there was a taping, got on the show, got called down, it was insane, won a trip to Patagonia, I mean, it's a long story, but the end, you know, the short of it is one a trip, a freaking trip to Patagonia. Yeah, it's very exciting. So we're planning the trip for the very beginning of January for, and the the Price is Right gave us a week. Uh, we're extending it to two weeks so that we can spend one week in Buenos Aires and then fly to where they're putting us up in Bariloche. So that's more of the Patagonia area. Um, yeah, so we're so excited. I just started, I just started planning everything out and kind of seeing what, which kind of uh, day trips and trains and things that we're going to take around the city. So yeah, I'm very itching, exciting. itching to explore something yeah, new. Yeah, we're ready to go international too. Yeah, that's definitely the next <laughs> chapter of our travels. Yeah, so if you guys have any suggestions, if you've ever been to Patagonia or the, especially the Bariloche area or the uh, Buenos Aires, please let us know what you would suggest. You can always email us at switchbackkids at gmail.com. Give us tips because we've never been to Argentina before. Yeah, and oh, if you want to read all about the crazy dramatic experience of The Price is Right, there are two wonderfully written posts on our blog, so check those out. You can just type it in the search bar. Um, but yeah, that's our, our next big thing this January. Fortunately, I have a nice long school break that goes until Martin Luther King Day, so plenty of time yeah, to fit we're that in. taking advantage. Yep. All right, Cole, you ready to get started with the, this episode? Yeah, what do we got? All right, well, first, we're going to start by our by uh, doing our fun, fun game of Parks in the News, where I, call, I quiz Cole on different current events that are happening within the National Park Service and just general fun National Park things. So this is actually this is actually a current event. Some uh, one of the biggest challenges that the NPS faces in re- in recent years is are the huge attendance spikes that are happening that the all the parks are seeing. Um, but some parks are being hit especially hard by masses of people coming in. So there are, according to 
an article that I will link in the show notes. Um, five national parks had the biggest attendance spikes. And I'm going to give you the first four. And all I want you to do is guess the no- the top park. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So number five was Rocky Mountain. Oh, I would have guessed that one probably. <laughs> number four, Redwood. Would not have guessed that number one. Number three, Bryce Canyon. Number two, which really surprised me because they control their their visit visitation, is Isle Royal. Wow. But they they I, they probably didn't have much to start with, is my guess. <laughs> um, and the number one park that saw the most visitation, the most the biggest attendance spike um, in this was in from two thousand actually two thousand fourteen to two thousand fifteen. Guys, okay, so two years ago was. In terms of people or percentage of visitation, I I'm, I don't know you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a business major. These things matter. No, is just go based on all the other parks that uh, I just listed. Well, some are really big and some are fairly small. So I don't know. I'm guessing it's percentage because that's the only thing that would allow you to compare across parks. What, also, what time frame are we looking at here? I don't know, Cole. I can't even take you seriously because you're wearing your hood up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gangster podcasting right now. Okay, go ahead and answer the question. Let's, Stop stalling. Yeah, stalling it is. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say... Oh, brother... Wasting valuable time on our podcast. <laughs> I'm going to say Kenai Fjords. I'm, President Obama's visit really <laughs> put it over the top. Wrong. It's actually, and we actually went to a ranger talk about this. Well, they talked about it in a ranger talk at this park. And the, the number one park is Joshua Tree. Wow. Do you remember them talking about that? No. <laughs> I would not have guessed that. They jumped they jumped in the list. I know I don't know what, you know, I don't know what which how far up they are on the all-time list of most visited parks. But I do know that um, you know, being close to some of the Southern California giant cities, they get a ton of visitors and they're just it's just increasing and increasing and increasing. So, yeah, I'm starting to remember that now. Yeah. I, eventually, I need to ask you these questions and sure, let maybe, you get them wrong. Maybe if you put any work into this, then you would. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I did any of the planning, yeah. Okay, are you ready to start the actual content of this podcast? Sure. I don't know how it can get any better, though. Okay, so today we are talking about the question that was raised in a New York Times article in August. And the question is, are we loving our national parks to death? Yes, <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> and yes, I think is the answer, too. I think it's pretty much a certainty. I think it's. I think it has been established that in some ways we are loving some of our parks to death. Yeah, and we. it's really interesting to look at the stats. We picked up this New York Times article, and in August again published it said quote in 1916 when the National Park Service was created there were a dozen national parks all of them in the west 
visited by 326,506 people. Today, there are 412 parks, park units, national monuments, historic sites, everything like that, cover more than 84 million acres in total, and they were visited more than 307 million times last year. So that's an incre- like 100-fold increase. Attendance is setting records this summer, and by the time the year ends, the number of visits over the last 100 years is expected to crest 13.5 billion with a B, end quote, with some commentary in there. <laughs> I was going to say, that <laughs> not all of that was <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> but the point is that, yes, the, the attendance has increased dramatically, especially this last year with the, the centennial uh, all of the the um, promotion and all of the media push that's happened um, to get the 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 event out there has really the parks have seen this huge increase just in the last year. And the, even before that, they were breaking records for consecutive years now. So it, it's an exciting thing, of course, for the National Park Service. They're getting a lot more attention and everything. Right. I know that we also read that um, the national parks contribute $32 billion to the na- the nation's economy. They support 295,000 jobs. Um, huge, huge uh, returns on the dollars that, you know, that we put into the National Park Service. So there, tax money. there are there are a lot of benefits to this, and overall, visiting the national parks is a good thing. It you know it there are extreme health benefits to being outside and getting you know out of the city and um, for your mental health and all sorts of things. So I think everyone can agree that visiting the national parks is a good thing. But there's there is a huge problem. It's I kind of I mean it's getting worse too. There's no denying it. The parks are getting crowded. Uh, with all these people, they're just not built to handle that amount of crowds. And it takes away kind of from everybody's experience because there are so many people there enjoying the nature, enjoying the park, enjoying the wildlife with you, but also using the parking lots, using the restaurants, using the campgrounds, everything. It's so much strain on the infrastructure and we could go totally into that uh, in a whole different podcast, but there's a huge backlog of maintenance that needs to be um, worked on, like $12 billion in deferred maintenance. Um, but but this is a happy podcast. And so yes, sure. <laughs> so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about two different parks we visited back to back during peak season and um, one of them represents the problem to this this question. One of them represents the solution. So the first park that we're going to talk about is Zion National Park. And as you might have guessed, <laughs> this park represents the problem of what's happening here. So extremely crowded, very tight quarters, and also um, is seeing some, some damage and some... Um, you know, detrimental effects of the visitors. Yeah, so there were 2.9 million visitors uh, last year, and we were part of that during the peak season of September. Very popular time to visit the Utah parks. People are back in school, so there aren't a bunch of families, but it's prime time for all the RVers and retired people and 
uh, people who don't have anything better to do like us. And September is a good time to visit because it's cooling off finally. But just in case you haven't been to Zion, it's one of those places that it really does feel super crowded because everybody is funneled into the same popular canyon uh, where all the main highlights are. Yeah, think of like the Yosemite effect. <laughs> same thing. You, everyone funnels into Yosemite Valley. Everyone stands at the south rim of the Grand Canyon. Um, there are some. There are these just hot spots within the National Park Service. Zion just happens to have a, a big one that basically um, gives access to all of its most popular features via this, you know, ten-mile Zion Canyon. And one of the things that they do to really help the traffic, and especially the car traffic and the parking mess, because the canyon is so small and it just doesn't have room for cars and parking lots is they've instituted a mandatory shuttle system. So which which I think was extremely successful. It seemed really good to us when we were there. We never really had to wait. You know, we always got on the first bus that came. We didn't have to wait more than, what, 15 minutes for, mm-hmm. a, for a shuttle bus. They're free, of course. And um, because it's mandatory, I think it, it's way more um, successful than, than some optional shuttle systems like in Yosemite and... Rocky Mountain National Park where you can drive or you can take the shuttle. Most people still choose to drive and then it just becomes this huge just cluster and does not work. So I think Zion actually does a really successful job at this. They also um, limit permits. So they, per- they, they require permits for some hikes and some canyons and some specific areas and those are limited. And they also have raised their entrance fees and their camping fees to kind of combat some of that overcrowdedness. Yeah, and people, Americans in general, are not always huge fans of public uh, transportation like the shuttle system. We prefer to drive everywhere and be on our own time. But in this case, the shuttles run so often, and there are so many that they're not super crowded. I really do think that if we saw it, you know, the other way with these cars back to back. I mean, in the visitor center, they had a picture of just a bumper to bumper car line in the Canyon Road before they mm-hmm. put in the shuttle. If we saw that, we would definitely prefer the shuttle system. So I think it is a, a positive solution. But another, there are plenty of other solutions too. Right, we were able to get off the quote-unquote beaten path as a, a, a ton just in um, even visiting during the peak crowded season. So specifically in Zion, we were able to take a few lesser-known trails. Like we, um, we actually did both of these, but if you only have time for Angel's Landing or, you know, or another hike, um, we actually enjoyed Observation Point more. I think the view was better. <clears throat> it was a tougher hike too. It yeah, was it was higher. A higher climb, mm-hmm. but it just got you so much. Like you're looking straight down on Angel's Landing, and you can see the whole canyon in front of you. So it's really good to do right when we got there and get a perspective on everything. Right, and it really wasn't crowded at all. No, no, we didn't see very many. We didn't see hardly anyone going up, and then there were just a, a handful of people at the at the summit. 
So hit places like different places like Observation Point. Also, if you want to, I totally recommend people do Angel's Landing because it's so classic, but maybe consider coming in from the backside. Like there's a an, an trail that everybody takes that's the shortest route up to Angel's Landing, but you can also come in. You'll have to look at the map to figure out what I'm saying, but you can come in from the back to get there. It's called like the West Rim. Yeah, the West Rim Trail or something. Or maybe East. We might be no, it's the West. Using everybody else. Right, it's the West. Okay. Uh, we did go to the East Rim Trail or East section as well, and we did that early or late in the day. We did a really nice sunset trail. Remember that one? Yes. And that's another key tip is to do things really early or late in the twilight hours because everybody's going back to get dinner or it's before maybe um, we biked into the restricted Zion Canyon Road area before the shuttles started right. running. And you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to bike in whenever you want. So that's a good way to, to especially hike Angel's Landing because it's hiking it when it's really crowded is almost dangerous. It's There's so many people you're trying to you know, wiggle your way around people on the chain area. That's the scariest part where you're exposed on both sides. And so because we were able to bike in before the shuttles were running, that meant we had like first, almost the first uh, hike. We were almost the first hikers to be up there. Now there were some people who were staying at the lodge or staying somewhere inside the canyon where they could get there first. Um, So we definitely weren't the very first, but we definitely um, beat the crowds with, with Angel's Landing. And with the Narrows, which is another one that we That's think is true. crowded but worth it, is definitely um, hiking the Narrows, which is the, um, you know, the, what river is that? Oh, heck, I don't know. <laughs> it's but just the Narrows. <laughs> it's, it's just the Narrows. Um, and we were able to hike out and see nobody, which was a really cool experience. And we got all those amazing pictures without people in them and then when we hiked back we just passed masses of crowds of people so that was another uh, uh, definitely a hike to do early yeah if you're not starting till like 10 forget about it because that's what everybody else is planning on um you know so just get there a little earlier and it makes the world a difference also with the narrows you can do a similar thing where you can go you can go out and then back the same stretch of the narrows or you can get a shuttle or use two cars to go around up to the top of the narrows section and hike one way down it's like a 16 miles okay 16 i was gonna say 14 yeah long way maybe divided between two days but that's something i really want to go back and do because it would be awesome to just especially that upper section nobody's up there right there's also a whole different section of the park that very few people go to compared to the Zion Canyon section, which is called Kolob Canyon. And we actually, we visited just very briefly on our way out, on our way to our next park. Um, but it was, that's another way to just, you know, especially if you've been to Zion before and you just love it and you want to go back, maybe just explore a different area. Maybe explore it at a, in a different time of the year because visiting in the off season can just give you all of the same, you know, all of the same highlights of the park, but just from with a different kind of seasonal twinge. 
Right. <laughs> I, it was totally different in Kolob Canyon. Zero people comparatively. So definitely want to go back and explore that. But uh, we talked about how Angel's Landing was definitely worth it and the Narrows definitely worth it. But another one that I would say crowded, yes, but definitely worth it uh, is the subway. And actually, it's not that crowded. Oh, definitely not crowded. Yeah, that's true. No, I guess it's worth the hassle (laughs) because... You sometimes have to play the game. Yeah, you need a permit. With the permits, yeah. And there are a bunch of different complicated ways to get a permit, so we're not going to get into that. But we scored a last-minute day of walk-up permit and it was our favorite thing that we did at zion it's called the subway it's also called left fork uh trail or something left fork river and and the key is that we hiked from the bottom up (laughs) um you can also explore the subway from what's called the top down which requires canyoneering um skills so we didn't have those so we, the one the way that we went was super easy. Like I would say it's it's an easy trail, quote easy. Like and that's that's saying something in the national park system because some of them are very hard. <laughs> but you were basically walking along this this creek and you're crossing it several times and then you um are then you you come up to what's called the subway after about 4 miles of walking through this creek area. Um and it's just you know, it's it's what you would think. It looks exactly like a like a rock tunnel that's open at the, at the on the on the top, and it looks like parentheses basically that you walk through. <laughs> right. The canyon walls are so cool there, and Zion is probably one of the very best places to do canyoneering in the country. If you have, especially if you have canyoneering experience experience and your own gear to do you know some rappelling and a little more technical navigation of the canyons because we just did the out and back in the subway but you could have come from the top down and just done a one-way if you had some gear however as we learned firsthand you have to be super careful because I think it was three days after we got out of Zion. Yeah, I'd call that like secondhand. Yeah, not firsthand. <laughs> secondhand, it's not funny. three days after Zion, we heard about those huge floods in Utah, and that included Zion, and seven canyoneers died when they went into the canyon, you know, after being warned by the rangers. It's probably going to. Uh, rain and there's super big danger of flash floods if you're in a canyon I wouldn't go Um, unfortunately they went and you know you just have to be so careful because that that is a serious serious danger yeah I think sometimes you can get a little bit deceived when especially with with a park that's so crowded you know you look around and you're like oh we're at Disney World (laughs) we're we're at um the zoo you know we're we're somewhere that's just got a lot of people like I'm never going to get really that hurt there's always going to be those things protecting me but you have to remember that you're in a national park and the wilderness is unforgiving in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. Um, and the job of the rangers is really to protect the 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 wilderness and the wildlife that's their that's their main job of course it's to keep visitors safe also but their priority is to you know protect the land 
And so it's, there are all sorts of, of um, you know, safety precautions in place. But when it comes down to it, you have to, you just have to be prepared and you have to listen to the uh, warnings and you just, you just have to know that it's wilderness. Yeah. And I'm sure we're preaching to the choir. <laughs> so. Yeah. A couple of quick other highlights that we loved at um, Zion. We said observation point. That was probably the best view we saw. We really loved, I guess we mostly talked about these things, but we really loved biking in the canyon. Um, we loved driving along the um, Mount Carmel Highway tunnel view, that scenic drive up there um, during sunset. We stopped at Checkerboard Mesa, which is up along that drive, which was gorgeous. And then, like he said, we hiked that Sunset View Trail where we saw bighorn sheep. Perfect um, time to see bighorn sheep awesome. is at dusk in the eastern part of the park. They're out, you know, during the day it's hot, so they're not out. So if you want them, go at dusk. So I think we've done a pretty good job of hitting Zion, talking about how it is a little bit of the problem of loving our parks to death yeah. with you know tons of people which makes it hard to truly get out in nature and enjoy the peace and quiet and also puts a lot of strain on the infrastructure so now let's lighten it up a little bit it's time to talk about the happy part of the story which is the solution one of our solutions at least to this problem of loving our national parks to death is to visit parks like great basin Great Basin National Park we had zero expectations for, <laughs> but it was so cool. It stayed, it, you know, we listed it in our top 10 national parks uh, when we did our first episode. So definitely check that out to figure out the other ones. But, uh, and we, yeah, we think it represents the solution to this problem. V compared to, remember, the 2.9 million visitors in Zion. Only four hours away is Great Basin, and it receives ninety about 90,000 visitors per year. So a huge difference, obviously. Um, and we, we actually also visited during its busiest weekend of the year, which is the national, or the, sorry, the annual astronomy festival that's, that's held at Great Basin, which is a big deal. Still no crowds, <laughs> like no crowds, com especially compared to some of the parks we uh, had just been to. I mean, the campgrounds were almost totally full almost so full that's nothing but the weird thing was that the um crowds were all centered around the visitor center because that's where the astronomy festival was going on so during the day when we weren't going to the astronomy festival talks and star programs we went and explored the rest of the park and there were still no people around and it was awesome the one thing I would say do not miss for sure is the tour of Lehman Cave. You know, you can book online if you're going on the weekend and it might be lesser availability. Right. We When we were there, of course, it was the busiest weekend, but we saw some families walk up and get, unfortunately, get rejected from um, a tour that weekend. It was a Sunday, I think, um, of the Astronomy Festival. But we had booked online ahead of time, so we already had our tickets. I think they're ten dollars a person for adults, and it was one of still one of our favorite ranger programs of the whole trip. I'd say so. I, uh, as far as the density of you know the, the the cave with the most bang for its buck, 
I'd say Layman Cave wins out because the cave formations just drip off the walls and it's got some really unique things going on. It's got these cave shields. It's a it's a weird formation that really one happens. Of, one of 40 caves in the country. Really? Okay. Out of the, what, tens thousands, of thousands of yeah. caves. So really unique. Um definitely do it yeah a few of our other favorite 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 of course there is no beaten path in in great basin but um so you don't really have to worry about that and these are probably some of the most popular activities but it doesn't even matter um the bristlecone trail which is about i think about a three or four mile loop trail and it takes you through these trees the bristlecone trees which are the oldest living trees the oldest living species of trees in the country in the world in the world, yeah. I think. Um, so there are trees in this forest that are still standing, still living, that are three, four, five thousand years old. Yeah, actually, I, we should mention the story that we heard. Yeah, it's super funny, sad <laughs> story about this. Funny, sad. The best kind of story. Yeah, <laughs> this grad researcher who was, you know, doing, I don't know, botany, researching the bristlecone trees, basically. And he, it was back in the 70s or something before they really knew how careful they needed to be out in nature and how um, clinical they needed to be with their research. They told him to just go out and get a core sample from one of the bristlecone trees. One random tree. Yeah, so he just picked some (laughs) random tree and brought back this core sample that he had drilled into the tree and took in basically cylindrical sample of it and they found out that tree was 5,000 something years old it was the oldest tree by far they'd ever seen and by drilling that hole into it he killed it (laughs) so it's not funny it's not it's (laughs) it's just he was doing such good work and research for those trees and he happened to pick the oldest recorded tree that anyone has ever found yeah. I just think that's very sad, <laughs> but funny, <laughs> funny, <laughs> funny, sad. <laughs> anyway, so definitely do the Bristlecone Trail. You'll, you'll, it's a, it's a, an interpretive trail, so you'll learn a little bit of information as you go through as well. And then you can keep going if you want to the uh, back of the. Tr- if you keep going past the Bristlecones, there's a glacier, and it's a a moraine slash rock glacier glacier actually and all of the ice and everything is basically beneath the rocks so it's woven into the rocks personally i was a little underwhelmed yeah definitely i think the bristlecone part of the trail was yeah. <laughs> by far the best so if you're running short of time and have to cut the rock glacier don't sweat it definitely though sweat it to get to the summit of Wheeler Peak. Oh, if you have the energy, yeah, for sure. It's about nine miles round trip, and it's a 13er. It's Nevada's second highest peak, and it's it was the view from the top was just amazing. It is very hard, very hard trail, but you're walking through these just this these forests of aspen, and we were there in September, and so they were starting to turn like bright gold. And they were just, oh my gosh, just amazing. And they were doing their little fluttering, quaking thing. Mm-hmm. It was gorgeous. And then at the top, it, you could just see all around. Nevada, believe it or not, is the most mountainous state 
in the country because it has so many mountain ranges. It has just this basin and range type of um, geography, so or terrain, and that's what Great Basin is a part of. And actually, the all the rain that f- f- uh, rains in Great Basin doesn't flow out to any ocean. I feel I think that's super interesting. It just gets caught in this Great Basin within Nevada. Um, and I think parts of Utah. So there were tons of really interesting facts like that about Great Basin. But definitely Summit Wheeler Peak, it's the second tallest mountain in Nevada. Yeah, really cool. Also, when you go, make sure you stay at stay for um, the sky to get dark because that was the best, the best, best, best night yeah. sky we saw of the whole trip. Um, no kidding. Maybe, maybe most... tied with Big Bend. <sighs> I don't but. know. Most in, most intense uh, Milky Way for sure. Mm-hmm. Just unbelievably gorgeous. I wish we were uh, nighttime photographers because we we definitely could have gotten some awesome pictures. But at least we saw it with our with our eyes. Yes, That's mental what matters. Right? Mental photos. That's how we feel about um, the northern lights that we saw too. <laughs> <laughs> we we've seen some amazing pictures and. Um, we took a picture of the northern lights with our iPhone and it was you can see the green but just ever so slightly anyway it's it's with the eyes that matter another thing I really enjoyed real quickly was the little loop we did in the backcountry we did two days of hiking and an overnight in the backcountry on the Johnson Lake Baker Lake loop it was 13 miles or so and it was just so refreshing uh, to get out and be by these beautiful lakes. And we actually, we got into a little bit of a tough spot on our first hike out because we were hiking so late into the night. I think that's maybe the, the darkest and the most we've hiked at night. Um, I think that was the most we've hiked in a day because that was the same day we did Wheeler Peak. Yeah. <laughs> we did nine miles, summited Wheeler Peak. We ate ice cream sandwiches, cookie ice cream sandwiches at the visitor center. So good. So big. <laughs> and then you we got to le- get one. And then we left on like another five mile hike, and which turned out to be all uphill to our first, I think the first lake we, we, where we camped was Johnson Lake was the first one we passed. Right. You also passed. So basically it's all uphill to Johnson Lake if you're going clockwise around this trail. And then you... Um, go a little bit over this one little um, peak and then it's all downhill and then you go around Baker Lake and then it's all downhill from there. I remember the next morning just like running out of that trail because we were going to go to a buffet that day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. We were motivated. (laughs) It was a a very, it was an awesome 13-ish mile loop. You can do it in a day. We we did it overnight just because we wanted to camp in the backcountry. Had an awesome spot. It's free to, it's free to, um, to get a backcountry permit, you just have to go through the visitor center. It was really refreshing after visiting Zion, where we there. Of course, their you know their permit system is very um, tight and lots r- of rules. And the, they were so laid back. Yeah, <laughs> at Great Basin, they said you know if you don't come back, like d- d- we'd like for you to return in your permit when you get back, just to let us know that you're back and safe. But if we don't hear from you, it's not like we're going to check up on you or go try and find you. So 
don't count on that. <laughs> right. They were just very chill. And it was actually really refreshing after visiting, you know, we came, we, we went to um, Petrified Forest where one of the rangers like scrutinized our car, then to Grand Canyon, then to Zion, where all those things were just very um, strict and heavy on the permits. So it was nice. Great Basin was just everything about Great Basin I loved so much. I, I would love to go back to that park. Totally. And if you can ever go, try and go during the Astronomy Festival because the stuff they had going on was so cool. And they'll schedule it during the new moon. And hopefully it's really clear days like we had. And the stars are incredible. You have all these amateur astronomers out there who set up their telescopes looking at different things. And they have some serious telescopes, too, like from different universities. Just something you can't do every day. And we really enjoyed it. So I think we can all agree that I would say some of us are loving some of our parks to death. I think that it is a, it is a problem that's happening with a lot of with a lot of these parks that are being overcrowded and and um, just really affected by the by the masses of visitors. But I think it's still hopeful because I think there are so many people out there that are advocating for the parks that are really trying to visit a variety of parks and not just the popular parks um, because there are so many parks out there that are not hardly visited at all that that see almost you know next to no visitors per year um so we would say that there are some things that we need to do just because these are our parks and we own them and it's our job to respect them is that if you are going to go to a park leave no trace don't make an impact don't make a negative impact respect the wildlife stay on the trails (laughs) all that good stuff and I'll boil it down to three easy solutions. Go to parks you've never heard of because they're all awesome, trust us. Go to parts of the popular parks you've never heard of, like with Zion, go to Kolob Canyon instead of the main canyon. Uh, then also go at different times of the year because, you know, in the in different times of the year when it's not peak season it's a totally different experience and together we will all protect our national parks and keep them beautiful forever because we want our kids to go to the parks amen sister (laughs) okay cole are you ready to answer a listener question this week i am i love our listener questions awesome so at happy diane commented on her Instagram picture a few days ago and she asked us which park or parks did you fall in absolute love with at first sight for me I cried at my first view of the Grand Canyon and I simply could not comprehend Zion as we entered from the east entrance all I could whisper was wow over and over cannot wait to go back that's what she that that her so her question is which parks did we fall in love with at first sight Yeah, and that to me means it really has to have that wow factor. Like, you know, there are plenty of parks that are gorgeous all around. You know, every piece of it is incredible. But there are a lot fewer parks that have the hit you in the face wow factor. I kind of disagree with your take on this question but go ahead what's so what's what's one park that you just fell in absolute love with 
because of that big giant wow factor. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, uh, immediately, so she's saying immediately fall in love, Mm -hmm. so you see it, like, your first view has to be something that makes such an impression on you that you are in love. Um, You know, and that, uh, of course, that's easy to do with some place like the Grand Canyon, and I would say, for me, when I first visited as a kid, yes, true, Um, but to say someplace um, that immediately fell in love with you know I could say Haleakala which is kind of a, yeah. a random one but that's in Hawaii it's on Maui and it was uh, this giant volcanic crater and you're just driving up the mountain the whole time and then you get to the visitor center you park and then you go out and you finally get to the rim of the crater, and that is your first view of this gigantic volcanic crater, mm-hmm. and you can see you know, little specks of one or two people at the floor, and then you look at the far side and you see the clouds just rolling in uh, to the crater. It was pretty breathtaking. So that, that's mine. I could, I could go with a bunch of others like yeah, but that's what I'll say. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good one. Um, so the reason I said I disagreed with you was just because some of the parks that have these giant wow factors, actually, I was actually underwhelmed with, with not, I mean, not, I was not underwhelmed at the Grand Canyon, um, and I was not underwhelmed with a lot of the things, but it's like you build up these expectations so high that sometimes my, my happiest moments of the whole year were these parks that just kind of shocked me and surprised us both. Sure. And that's why I think we fell in love with parks like Acadia and um, and Great Basin, like we just talked about, and and those type of parks that just, and Big Bend, that just, they were quieter, more subtle moments. But so And it was hard for parks like Zion, who which was probably the park that we were most anticipating because mm-hmm. of all the hype. It was hard for those parks to live up to the, the expectations in right. our mind. Right. So my park um, that I fell in love with, I would say, at first sight was Virgin Islands. Really? National Park. And that's just because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm more of a beach person than like a mountain person, but I definitely love the beach. And we, when we first, I just, I, I would describe when we like went to our first beach at Virgin Islands. Like when we went to uh, Trunk Bay and, you know, you're walking from the parking lot through the trees and then all of a sudden, like, there's the bluest ocean you've ever seen and the whitest sand you've ever seen and it's just, you're like looking through two palm trees at this view. (laughs) And it's just like my kind of love too. It's, It's like the water's warm. The temperature was perfect for, you know, laying there but not being too hot, not being too cold. Um... Oh, I just remember feeling so relaxed and so in love with Virgin Islands. Yeah. <laughs> I almost went with Dry Tortugas, actually. Which really? Which is for similar reasons. I almost reasons. did, too, actually. But, yeah, we're getting long on time, so thanks, Thank Happy for, Diane, yeah, for, thanks for the, the question. question. Please send us more. You know, you can find a link if you want to send a send one to our voicemail. That's at uh, on our blog, switchbackkids.com. But we're going to wrap it up because we are several minutes over time. We try to keep these to about 35 minutes or so, but... I think they'll forgive us. Yeah, we'll keep working (laughs) on that part. 
So thanks for checking us out today. We'll be back next week talking about some of our favorite encounters with people of the parks. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. As you can all, and you can always get more National Parks videos, posts, guides, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks out. <laughs>